After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. And with a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling for demons and a haunt for every impure spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth rich from her excessive luxuries. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk and scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood and articles of every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron and marble, cargoes of cinnamon and spice, of incense, myrrh and frankincense, of wine and olive oil, of fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages, and human beings sold as slaves. They will say, the fruit you longed for is gone from you. All your luxury and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at her torment. They will weep and mourn and cry out, Woe, woe to you, great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. In one hour, such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Every sea captain and all who travel by ship, the sailors and all who earn their living from the sea, will stand far off. When they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, Was there ever a city like this great city? They will throw dust on their heads and with weeping and mourning cry out, Woe, woe to you, great city, where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour she has been brought to ruin. Rejoice over you, heavens. Rejoice, you people of God. Rejoice, apostles and prophets, for God has judged her with the judgment she imposed on you. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, with such violence the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. 
the music of harpists and musicians, pipers and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No worker of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's important people, but by your magic spell all the nations were led astray. In her was found the blood of prophets and of God's holy people, of all who have been slaughtered on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. It's great to be with you this morning. I don't know about you, but when I come to a passage like that, I need God's help. So let me pray. Father, thank you for your word, that it's living and active, and that you speak to us through your word. Lord, I pray that you would come and speak to us today through your word. Take my preparation, take my thoughts, and use them for your glory as we look at your words today. Amen. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. And so Dickens begins his now famous contrast of what was happening in London and Paris at the time of the French Revolution. And that description could have been used by John at the beginning of Revelation. As Sarah Jane said, we're coming to the end of our series on Revelation. And we're reaching the concluding chapters where John shifts his imagery and starts his spectacular contrast of two cities. This week, we're looking at Babylon. Next week, we're looking at Jerusalem. A few weeks ago, my aunt came over from Canada to visit my wider family, and she spent a day with us in Winchester. She'd never been to Winchester before, so we did all the usual tourist things. We found the hares, we went round the weirs, we pointed out Wolsey, and then we went to the cathedral. She was fascinated by the stained glass window above the big red doors at the main entrance to the cathedral. And when we took some time just to explain the story behind that window, she understood the significance of the cathedral much more. And if you don't know that story, come and talk to me afterwards and I'll tell you all about our wonderful cathedral. You see, to fully appreciate the significance of Babylon, we need to understand the the historical significance of Babylon. Those originally reading Revelation would have been so familiar with Babylon, John didn't need to spend time explaining it or describing it in detail to them. And once we understand the significance of Babylon, we have a better understanding of the significance of the fall of Babylon, which Oliver read to us just now. If you were to look in an atlas, you won't find Babylon. It's found in modern-day Iraq, not far from Baghdad. And Babylon was a mighty city. 
Its name means the gate of God or the holy city. It was a spectacular city known throughout the region. Built around a large square, it had a network of roads crossing all the way through it. Babylon could be seen from miles away. It was established on seven hills surrounded by a massive moat. Some parts of the city wall were 300 feet tall and 75 feet wide. That sounds pretty impressive to me. Babylon was a strategic, political, military and economic centre. It dominated the region in so many ways. If John were writing today, he would probably say that Babylon was a superpower and Babylon would have been one of the G20 nations. Babylon was a prosperous city. We heard in our reading that John records merchants of the earth who grew rich from Babylon's excessive luxuries. John gives us the details of the types of things that the merchants were selling. Gold, silver, precious stones, pearls, fine linen, purple silk, scarlet cloth. And the list goes on and includes exotic spices and livestock. If we're familiar with the book of Daniel, we'll know that when Nebuchadnezzar was king of Babylon, he built a magnificent causeway set high above the spectacular roads that the causeway could be seen throughout Babylon. It was decorated with walls made of polished blue and white tiles, making beautiful mosaics. Stepping back to admire his handiwork, Nebuchadnezzar said, Is this not the great Babylon? that I have built. Let's not forget the world-famous Hanging Gardens of Babylon, one of the ancient wonders of the world. What about the wonderful rivers of Babylon? Who would want to live anywhere else? Babylon must have come first in the time's best places to live so many times it would give Winchester a run for its money. But we need to remember that Revelation is prophetic and apocalyptic scripture. Note to self, don't use difficult words in your sermon. It's John describing what the Holy Spirit had revealed to him. And let's face it, reading Revelation can be complicated. It's not as straightforward as sitting down and reading one of the Gospels or even one of Paul's letters. John was writing to Christians who were struggling with the culture where they lived. And Revelation is just as relevant to us today as it was when John first wrote it. John often uses powerful imagery to speak of much deeper issues. And as fascinating as it is, I can't imagine that John intended Revelation to be a history lesson. Instead, John wants us to be aware of the real dangers presented by Babylon. We need to look beyond the history and understand what Babylon really represents. So if you've still got your Bibles, we're open. Have a look with me at Revelation 18, verse 1. When the angel appears, the earth was illuminated by his splendor. Only once Babylon had fallen can the angel appear bringing magnificent light on the whole world. And that illumination shows us that there's a much more sinister side to Babylon 
which would not be mentioned in any of the tourist guides or the glossy brochures from the estate agents. This mighty force of Babylon conquered any nation that stood in its way, taking prisoners as they rampaged through the land, leaving carnage in its wake. Babylon had a fierce reputation for crushing nations and stripping out all the resources as it expanded throughout the surrounding area. Babylon was involved in human trafficking. If you have a look at verse 13, when John's listing the cargo that the merchants were trading, he says human beings were sold as slaves. Of course, we can't forget that Babylon was the destination for thousands of Israelites who were forcibly removed from the comfort of their homes and held captive in Babylon. But we like to gloss over that and we sanitise the trauma and we refer to that period of Israel's history as the exile. No wonder so many of the Old Testament prophets declared God's judgement over Babylon. With this backdrop, is it any wonder that when we come to the New Testament, Babylon often represents oppression and captivity? The second thing Babylon represents is an attitude of our hearts. We first come across the city of Babylon when it's not yet been built. In Genesis 11, we read of a group of people who wanted to build a city for themselves. They built a large tower so that they could reach up to God. We know that city is Babel, but Babel is just an early form of the word Babylon. When Babel was built, God had told the people to disperse throughout the nations, but the people decided that they knew best and wanted to congregate in one place. So thinking about our heart attitude, Babylon represents all those times when in our arrogance we try to live without clear reference to what God is asking us to do. Like the people in Babel, we decide we know best and we try to live without God. John would have known that the physical geographical city of Babylon was destroyed in about 689 BC. But in Revelation 18, he writes about Babylon in the present and the future tense. John portrays Babylon as a spiritual realm. It's a dominion of darkness. And when Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, which was one of the churches who would have received one of the seven letters from John in the beginning of Revelation, Paul made a similar point and he said, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the forces and powers of darkness of this world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. If we look carefully at verse 2, John tells us about the current residents of Babylon. He says, she has become a dwelling place for demons and a haunt for every unclean spirit. The rivers and hanging gardens of Babylon aren't quite so appealing now, are they? 
Living in Babylon affects our spiritual lives. The psalmist reflected on the exile and he wrote, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept. Our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? You see, when we live in Babylon, our hearts become hardened towards God. And we find it harder to meet with God in worship. So what does it look like today to live in Babylon? The culture and values of any city are defined by the residents of that city. We might as well say, when in Babylon, do as the Babylonians do. Babylon represents that deep desire within all of us to be popular and stand out among our peers, even if that means stepping on other people as we fight our way to the top. It represents the dark side of our hearts where we face the battle of doing what God wants us to do rather than pursuing our secret desires and those deep-rooted passions to be in control of our own lives. Babylon represents that constant challenge we all face to increase our own reputation, which distracts us from following God as closely as we know that we should. Today, the appeal of Babylon is not so much the hanging gardens and the fantastic mosaics, but Babylon presents itself in the desire to stand out from others, to chase the next promotion, to own the latest version of a particular gadget, to live in a particular postcode. When our agenda and our sense of entitlement means we haven't got time to show appreciation to the person serving us in a restaurant or the person serving us in a shop. When we don't have time to be kind and compassionate and instead we treat people like commodities, we're acting like Babylonians. Whenever we strive for position or recognition or when reaching that next performance target at work is more important than valuing and appreciating the team who help us achieve our best, we're being Babylonian. When we serve in church because we want people to notice our gifts, rather than using our gifts to glorify God, we're being Babylonian. Let me offer a contrast. Jenny and I have really enjoyed watching the Commonwealth Games recently. And there was one athlete who stood out amongst her peers. Having won a gold medal, and I think it was a long jump, rather than bathing in the adulation of the crowds and running the traditional lap of honour, she found her family and friends in the crowd. And they spent time praying together. It was so unusual, the commentator was lost for words. That athlete modelled what it means to stand against the prevailing culture of Babylon in which we live. She took the time to give praise and glory to God and thanked him for her abilities 
and her achievements. When the angel appears in Revelation 18, he declares that Babylon and all those who live there have been destroyed. If Revelation were a film, like in the video clip we saw from Simon, this is the part where smoke clears to reveal total destruction, with a lone messenger appearing through the mist and the rubble, declaring, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. If we have been taken captive by Babylon, there's hope. Paul wrote with confidence that God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son. When my aunt came to visit recently, she proudly showed me her two passports. One is a British passport, the other Canadian. She has dual citizenship. She can enjoy the luxury of being a citizen of Canada and the United Kingdom at the same time. But Paul is clear, our citizenship is in heaven. There is no such thing as dual citizenship when it comes to our spiritual home. We either live in Babylon or we live in Jerusalem. John offers us an escape route. In verse 4, the angel addresses the people of God who are in Babylon. And the angel declares, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. In 1861, as the Confederate States of America were forming an allegiance, one question was being asked. Which side are you on? Whole towns, cities, states, and families declared themselves as supporters of either the South or the North. There was a mass exodus as people chose which side they were on. Today, we have a similar choice. We can choose to live in Babylon or we can allow God to rescue us from the dominion of darkness. Which city will you choose to live in today? Amen. Let's just take a moment to pause and to reflect on what God might be saying to us. And then I'm going to pray for us before we move on. We're sorry for all the times that we have chosen to live as Babylonians. And Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for those wrong attitudes and poor decisions. But Jesus, I thank you that you have rescued us from the dominion of darkness and put us instead into your glorious kingdom. So Lord, I pray that you will fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit and give us hope in the certainty that you give us that we can be set free and instead of living in Babylon, we can live in Jerusalem. Lord, as we face this week, help us to continue to make decisions for you, decisions which give you glory and honour. 
Amen.